Welcome to the Inrooted Podcast, where we believe it's our biblical duty to work the land and that scripture provides wisdom for our everyday walk in life. This is your podcast where faith intertwines inspiration, new perspectives, and practical tips for your forest management and land ownership journey. Let's get started. With Valentine's Day right around the corner, I thought this would be a perfect opportunity to talk about love. Now, before you turn this podcast off or this video off, stay with me, okay? I'm not gonna be talking about the ooey gooey love you feel for each other, which is very important. So this is your reminder that if you don't already have a gift for your loved one for Valentine's Day, go ahead and go get it. And if you have no idea where to start, especially if they are a lover of the outdoors and love trees, I actually just posted a new blog post about this that shares the six gift ideas that you can just go grab, make this easy for you, and add a little bit of personalization to your gift to show your love and appreciation for them. But what I wanna talk about today is love for the land. What do you do when you want to show love of your land, love of your family legacy that you've been giving, love of this management, love of this responsibility? So I'm going to be giving you four things that you can do to show that you truly love the land. But when we're using this word love, we do need to define it a little bit better because there's tons of different things that you love. I love my coffee. For example, I love having my morning cup of coffee. I love coffee so much, I usually have it at least three times a day. Now, don't jump down my throat, anyone that has any health um, advice, or the contrary, because I probably won't change. Why? Because I have three kids that I need to keep up with. So, I can say I love my coffee. I can say I love that movie. I love that show. I love my kids. I love my husband. These are all different types of love that I'm sharing. I love my husband differently than I love my kids, and I love my kids differently than I love coffee, right? So how can we show a love of the land? And then what is kind of this, this um, pivotal peak of showing the ultimate love? And to have that definition, to show what the ultimate type of love is, we're going to be going into John 3.16. And I'm going to go ahead and read that for you. And I'm actually going to read all the way through 21 just to give us the full context here, okay? So John 3.16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that in it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now, why did I decide to read the whole thing? First and foremost, John 3.16 shows what the, the pivotal peak, the ultimate love is. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's as simple as that. You believe in Jesus, you believe in the son, you believe in all of that, you have eternal life. And as a, as a mom, as a Christian, I can say, well, so let me take a step back. I was, you know, agnostic for, for several, several years. And so this verse meant absolutely nothing to me. But even when I became a Christian before I have kids, I will say this did not resonate nearly as deeply 
as after the fact that I have kids. And now that I have a son and my oldest is my son, you know, it just hits a whole different level of the type of love that I did not appreciate that God did for us. But I wanted to read the whole thing because specifically I wanted to get down all the way to 21 to share. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So if we are looking at our land ownership and our management as a stewardship, as a worship service to God, that God has given us this responsibility, it is our biblical duty to work the land, to manage it the best way possible with all the resources that we can possibly fathom with what's available at our our fingertips, with what's available in our markets, with what we have and where we're going. If we believe all that, then we can also look at everything that we do for the land, you know, is an act of love, not only for it, but also for God, that we love him so that we want to make sure we are doing the best things possible with the resources that he's gifted us with. So now that we kind of have that as the foundation of what we're going to be going into, What are four things that we can do to show we truly love the land, that show that we love God and this responsibility and the stewardship opportunity we have been gifted with? Well, first things first, get a plan. Yes, I said it. We need to have a written plan. This is crucial. Do you need to follow it to the T all the time? Absolutely not. The plan is more of a guideline because we know weather happens, contractors happen, markets happen, life situations happen. Not everything is going to go to plan. Actually, nine times out of 10, things will not go according to plan. But if you do not have that written plan in front of you, having that guide that you are trying to follow to help you know what you're trying to hit as a target market, you will never hit the target. You will never reach any of your goals. And in fact, you will more likely tend to postpone any and all management work and to ultimately where nothing ever actually gets done. Having a written plan does something for us that actually gives us a little bit more accountability to follow through on something. Yes, we can adapt to it, but if we never actually write it down, we're much more likely to never actually even start the process. So the first thing you can do if you want to love the land the right way is get a management plan for it. There are different plans that you can go and, and, and um, you know, get. There's brief management plans, there's stewardship plans. But I wanted to show you, again, the importance, even biblically, of getting a plan. All right. And for that, we're going to be jumping over to Proverbs 21, 5. The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. Now, when we think of profit and poverty, we tend to think of financial means. We tend to think that, okay, plans means we are gonna be more financially profitable. Yes, that is generally true. But I would also dare to say, let's look at profit in a a typical way. Profit can also be environmental, ecosystem profit. And a profit is simply kind of the reward, the abundance of something. Yes, typically money. But if we look at the environment and look at our ecosystem, look at our vegetation and our habitats, when we have a plan that we're working towards and we are taking management steps according to that plan to create this vision, we will see our environment, our ecosystem, our habitats thrive. And I would dare to say that thriving is a profit for the land. You profit your timber growth, you are going to have, I would dare to say, more understory, you're going to have more diversity, you're going to have clean water because you are making sure you're following your state's BNP guidelines, right? When you have a plan, you're going to be able to help not only 
keep you from making financial mistakes, but also help you from making mistakes that are contrary to what you need to do in the ecosystem. So let me give an example of, of what that could possibly look like, all right? If you decide that you are just going to make manage the land and you just make decisions whenever you want to, whenever it feels like, whenever it comes to mind, you cut your timber maybe every 30 years and you never replant, you don't do any intentional thinning perhaps out there, you don't put any wildlife openings, we can probably agree that that forested landscape isn't going to be nearly as diverse, nearly as um, beneficial to different wildlife species. The water maybe is okay if you're near a stream system because you're actually not doing a whole lot of management systems out there, but you now have increased your risk for wildfire. So when a wildfire might happen through a lightning strike, it's more likely to be much more intense and kind of wipe out everything. Now let's compare that to having a plan. You steal clear cut, say it, 30 years old. Okay, but now you intentionally replant back in there. Now you intentionally have different areas for wildlife openings. You purposely thin around the age of 13, which now opens up the forest floor to all the sunlight. Now you have all this new vegetation, which is going to help all these different wildlife species because now you've created a different type of succession ecosystem. When you have that lightning strike that is still going to occur, because you don't have nearly as much density out there and wood fuel, it's not going to be as intense. Yes, you will still have a fire, but it won't potentially wipe out everything out there. It's gonna be much more low intensity and just maybe hit up a few areas. In those two examples of one, having a plan that we followed versus just going in and deciding when to do things whenever we feel like without a plan, you're going to see a vast difference in the habitat. And therefore I would say, a vast difference in the profit of what you see in the environment and ecosystem. And of course, yes, you are going to see a tremendous different type of financial sustainability and financial profit systems there. But that's just the first step of what you can do if you truly love the land. And this is a passage that typically isn't talked about in this way, and you'll see exactly why. You probably are relatively familiar with it, but maybe have not heard the, the different interpretation that I'm going to be sharing with you. All right, so John 4, starting in verse 35 through 38, okay? Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefit of their labor. All right, and you probably heard about this when you're talking about going and making disciples and you may not see when someone comes to, to Jesus, comes to Christ and has that transformation, but the importance of planting seeds and that we all have our own roles, you know, in, in spreading the word. But what I wanted to focus on and what speaks to me when I read it and just screams succession is here. It says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. We <laughs> have a terrible tendency to always postpone things that we just don't wanna think about, we don't wanna deal with. And that is so true when it comes to estate planning. No one wants to think about their own death and no one wants to think about the death of their loved ones. We'll get to it later. We'll get to it at the end of summer. There's no rush right now. 
But as we are told here, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And in Ecclesiastes, and I don't remember the exact verse right now, and I'm not going to go and get into it, it does talk about how no one knows their time. And therefore, he's emphasizing we need to enjoy the work we have in the days that we have because no one knows when the ends of those days will be except for God. We do not know when those ends of days are going to be. We have a tendency to say it's still four months away. We don't need to worry about it later. Now we'll get to it later. But as Jesus says, we need to open our eyes. And this is so true, again, for succession. So if you love your family, if you do not want this amazing asset that you have been working on, working towards, have inherited perhaps, or purchased for your family to become a liability and lost to your family forever, get a succession plan. And I would dare to even say, share that succession plan with everyone around you. So that way there's no surprises. The last thing you want to do is leave a a controversial topic, a controversial asset that everyone's going to be fighting over. You may hurt some feelings up front, depending on how you decide to go about the succession, but it's so much better to just clear the air up front, let everyone be fully aware of what they're going to be taking on during their time when you have passed, making your intentions very crystal clear, rather than trying to figure things out from things that are written on paper. So if you love your land, if you love your family, go get a succession and an estate plan. Point number three. Always have harvesting and reforestation efforts in your management plans. All right, so we've already got a plan. This is me emphasizing if you truly love the land and you want to show you love the land and you want to work it biblically, you always need to have some type of harvest operation mechanism. Does it have to be a clear cut? No, it doesn't necessarily have to. I personally love a clear cut, but what's important is that you are intentionally harvesting at appropriate times for you, your family, and the the timber type and locations, as well as having intentional regeneration and reforestation efforts. If you jump over to Genesis 8.22, it's a verse you hear me talk about quite often in a different podcast and especially different social medias, um, as well as a few of my other live trainings that I go into. And I'm going to read that for you too, in case you are brand new here and you haven't heard me use this verse or seen me use this verse on online. Genesis 8.22. As long as the earth endures, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. This is God's covenant with the earth. As long as the earth endures, there will be seed time and harvest. And to me, that just makes it crystal clear that we were always intended to have some type of harvesting mechanism. Things weren't meant to last forever. But just because we have a harvesting time does not mean we neglect our seed time, our reforestation, our regeneration efforts. So if you love your land, and you want to work the land in some type of biblical stewardship, using it as your as your service and show for love for God as well, make sure you have some type of harvesting and reforestation efforts implemented into those plants. Number four is my favorite, and you're probably, depending on which side of the spectrum you are on your belief for financial motives with your land, may or may not agree with me, but, but hear me out, okay? The fourth step, if you truly love the land, is to create a profit for the land. And this time I am using the word profit as financial sustainability. Make sure your land is financially sustainable, okay? I'm gonna go ahead and read Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 
through 30, okay? And I'm gonna set the framework of why I think this is so crucial, so important. I use this verse in my Landowner Steward course. I've used it in several of my other live trainings. Anytime I am talking about financial sustainability or sustainability in any concept or any way, I usually will always come down to this parable. And it's the parable of the loaned money or parable of the talents, depending on which gospel you are reading. Uh, so you may be relatively familiar with it, but if you're not, I'm going to read it for you right now. Okay, Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, you have entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw the worthless servant out and into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, so here... To quickly summarize, we got three servants who were lefted with uh, bags of gold. And in our case, we can look at our bags of gold as our acreage of land. We have each been gifted and left with a certain amount of land type. Maybe it's thousands of acres, maybe it's hundreds of acres, maybe it's, you know, 10, 20, 30 acres. We have different size of lands that we have been granted um, at, through inheritance or we have purchased ourselves. Either way, we have been left with a responsibility with this land, just like the servants have been left with the responsibility with these bags of gold. And as we can see, if we view the master as God, we view our land as everything here on earth is God's. It's not truly ours. It is our responsibility to manage it, to steward it to our best abilities as possible so that when he returns we can ensure like hey we've done well with what you have left us with we have made it grow as you can see we have used your resources wisely the first two servants the ones with ten and five bags or the, not ten five bags the ones with five and two bags grew it to ten and five and they were considered good and faithful. Why? Because they grew the resources that they had they they utilized it they got a profit of what they were left with Compared to the gentleman who was only left with one bag of gold and did absolutely nothing with it. He was considered wicked and lazy and was even told that he should have just given it to the banker so at the very minimum he could have gotten some interest. He could have got pennies on a dollar interest from it and would have at least tried to grow what he had been given. 
So why does this scream financial sustainability to me? Because it emphasizes the importance of utilizing what we have. Keeping the status quo is simply not enough. And as we know in today's environment, there's always inflation, there's rising property taxes, and because of gas and oil, operations are naturally more expensive. Things get more expensive. And if we do not have some type of financial sustainability structures in place, that amazing asset that we have maybe been handed down or we have seen potentially grow through the generations, if it does not continue to grow and keep up, it's going to change to a liability. It's going to bleed people dry. And people get real weird and funny when it comes to getting desperate with their money. When you're pinching pennies and living paycheck to paycheck, you make different decisions than when you have an emergency savings. And you're able to make a little bit wiser decisions on how you're going to invest your money. And I would dare even say, I'm not going to dare even say, I'm just going to say it. You can be so much more of a blessing to others when you have more to be able to give. If you've settled your own family, taken care of your own house, as we are also instructed to, you let your cup overflow, we can be more of a blessing. When our land has financial sustainability, is making a profit of some sort, we can do so much more. Not only for a profit for ourselves, but that profit could be utilized in different means, which I talked about in my uh, Landowner Foundations free class about how you can use it to help your community, to help ministry efforts. Maybe it's to, to just you know help kids go through college, to give you some uh, consistency in retirement but it's also going to help the environment, the habitat, the different wildlife that you, well, really everybody likes seeing out there. You're gonna be able to do so much more with an environmental impact when you have a financial sustainability system in place with your land. So if you truly love your land and you love it for your family and you wanna see it thrive, make sure your land is also profitable. So those are the four steps I recommend for you today in you know in the season of valentine's day to talk about love but not in the traditional cheesy love i wanted to make sure you had four things that you can kind of reflect on and if you do not have any of these four steps i highly encourage you to go back and and start making changes in whichever one of these avenues you need to go if you need to figure out how to create different financial sustainability systems go check out my landowner steward course it's on evergreen you can go through and see exactly how i teach the concepts of sustainability and how you can start implementing your own financial sustainability systems in place, all founded in scripture, of course. If you are looking and trying to decide on your succession plan, let me highly encourage you to go find an estate planning lawyer who understands land. Veronica McClendon is a great one in Georgia if you are in Georgia. If you are not in Georgia and you're in a different southeastern state or state in the U.S., I still highly encourage you to look and find an estate planning lawyer who is used to working with forest lands or farmers. Any one of those cases, they will understand the complexities when it comes to your land. Get a management plan. Keep it updated. And with those management plans, make sure you always have some type of harvesting and reforestation or regeneration operations in place. Until next time.